0: Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to see, cognitive new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to The Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, your host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena, and publishes those in, with detailed reports in the quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate it, to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you will receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Notebook. A reminder, the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the study of various solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study the submitted observations. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the Internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And now... The Observer's Notebook. This episode of The Observer's Notebook podcast was recorded live at the uh, Georgia Regional Astronomy meeting that uh, I attended in uh, October 2017. And this particular talk is by... uh, mike reynolds our eclipse expert for the alpo and he gave a nice presentation uh, regarding the 27 great total solar eclipse and if you look in the show notes uh, i have also included mike's slides from this presentation so sit back relax and enjoy a nice little talk by mike reynolds our next speaker is mike reynolds who will tell us about the great american eclipse
1: Yeah, I understand there was an eclipse a couple months ago. (laughs) Yes. Supposedly. I will warn you right offhand that um, as a college astronomy professor, one of my teaching duties is non-science freshmen, And I have one of two ways to keep them awake. A little bit of occasional humor or a taser. (laughs) And since I forgot my taser... Um, there'll be an occasional bit of humor. So, interesting to note, the interest in this particular eclipse was, quite frankly, what we had hoped for. Um, I'm going to share with you some results that stretch through a couple different parameters. I was part of the um, American Astronomical Society's 2017 Eclipse Working Group, And we had a number of meetings leading up to the eclipse itself. And we learned some things, and we misgaged some things. We'll be prepared better for the future. (coughs) Interesting to look back very quickly. Um, You look at January 24, 1925, another one of those great American eclipses. It's the headlines from the New York York Times, eclipse four seconds late here. But a brilliant show, seen from land, sea, and air. It thrills millions. City halts to gaze. Scientists now study the data. And that's what we're still doing. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the data that's been collected. We've got a lot of work to do still. I'm, I'm primarily involved with looking at the uh, coronal data. And we have such a mass, which is wonderful, of data from coast to coast like we've never had before. It's going to take some time for us to slug through all that and bring you some conclusions that um, because of the amount of data we have. And again, this was a a wonderful example of that collaboration between amateurs and professionals. Um, Amateurs just did a terrific job with imaging the eclipse literally from coast to coast. And so we'll get more into that. The first eclipse that I went to was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, literally. It was March 7, 1970. I hit it in a little city by the name of Waycross, Georgia. And um, a couple things I remember about the eclipse, how stunned I was at the beauty of the eclipse and the reaction of the cattle. As second contact totality occurred, I watched the cows start heading back to the um, barn and as soon as the hotel ended, they turned back around and came back out, as if night had come and night was over. It's kind of an interesting eclipse. So I'm going to focus this particular talk, a brief comment or two about the, the general public and the eclipse, some of the science we're looking at. And there's a lot of aspects of this eclipse which will be studied um, for a number of years. And then I want to just kind of you know, do that commercial for what's next eclipse-wise, Um First part I call Star Party. As you know, there are so many good organizations. We heard Maurice talk about his efforts. There's are so many good things that happen um, up to this total solar eclipse. It was pretty amazing. One of the ones, if I had, this, had not had the scientific interest, I would love to have gone to Moonstalk. I don't know how many of you heard about this, but this was a music festival, three days of music that was headlined by Ozzy Osbourne.
0: Oh, no.
1: Who sung at second contact, Bark at the Moon, and only Ozzy could do something like that and get away with it. So um, I'm sure if the eclipse had been clouded out, most of the people would never even notice notice the difference, but I'm sure they were already eclipsed by (laughs) totality. Um, With the general public, there was a lot of interest, a significant amount of interest, which bodes well for us. Who teach or are into science or into research or amateurs. I mean, it's, just a, it's a good thing. The eclipse glasses was an interesting scenario. Um, I think maybe the biggest issue turned out to be Amazon and their pronunciation all eclipse glasses, all eclipse glasses were fake, like fake news. And I didn't say that, did I? Fake news, fake glasses. And it turned out that most of the people who were selling eclipse glasses on Amazon, had bought them from legitimate dealers. Why would you make fake Eclipse glasses Would you could buy them in huge quantities for 35 cents each? That makes no sense. But nonetheless, there's this big, big brouhaha and um, stay tuned because you may or may not hear about the lawsuits that will soon be settled because Amazon does not want to get into it with these people, these very legitimate dealers in court. You know, where's a prognostication. I remember that our, our Eclipse Working Group uh, meetings, that we could see significant traffic jams. There were some, but not to the degree that we thought there would be. Um, you know, I mean, I live in Florida, and I think about the, the horrific traffic we dealt with with Hurricane Irma trying to get out of Florida. Um, it was nothing like that. So that was the good news. I think a lot of people were maybe scared off of going to see Totality, families and the like because of the traffic jam prognostication. But I think most who attended said, you know, there may have been a little bit of traffic, you know, kind of like the typical traffic around Atlanta, which, of course, oh, yeah. that could be a nightmare. So nonetheless, I think the really cool thing about this eclipse is it may have been what was for me or my generation, that Apollo moment. Now, I don't expect every kid who saw the eclipse to become an astronomer or an astronaut or go into STEM, but, you know, just having that conscious awareness of, you know, the universe around them, that's certainly valuable for us who are scientists. It's really good to have a voting population who, you know, knows that we're dealing with astronomy, not astrology. I don't think I need to say more. So some wonderful, wonderful photographs. came out. this one is taken by Ken. And um, I like this photo for a couple reasons. First of all, it shows very simple things you could do with leaves and how they made these little pinhole projections that you could see on the ground or a spaghetti colander. Or, um, I think Matt Will was home about the fact that he had, had used a hole punch to, to make a projector. Um, this was taken with an iPhone, just a simple iPhone. My son, who was with us, um, our entire family gathered for Totality, he used his iPhone to take pictures of the totality. I'm thinking to myself, why in the heck do I have all this expensive equipment to image totality when my kids over here are using a dang iPhone? It's like, this is crazy. Um, this is a beautiful picture. This is general public watching the clips in, in Oregon. But the funny thing, if you look at this, all the phones, look at all the phones. <laughs> is that amazing? It tells you where we're at and what we've got to do generationally to, to get light off. I want to laser your eye. I don't want you to be eclipsed in your eyes. I kind of collected some comments from people and kind of put some of the comments down that some people told me or said I heard. Um, I love some of these. When's the next eclipse? I don't know how many times I heard that. Or there's an eclipse today? What are solar glasses? Um, I need a drink. The thing that, I've been to 19 total solar eclipses. This is my 19th. I heard crickets. I'd never heard crickets before during totality. Um, Right before totality, it was very quiet. And second contact, and there was a singing chorus of probably cicada rather than than crickets. And in third contact, and they were gone. It's amazing. I'd never experienced that before. But nonetheless, I think for amateurs, professionals, the public alike, it was a, a wonderful experience. It's a great photograph showing the eclipse sun going over um, the the St. Louis Arch. Just spectacular. However, our work is far from done. Um, This one's just, I put up the whole story. I don't even know what to even say, but, you know, those of us in science, whether it's as an amateur or as a professional, you know, you just want to I'm going to go on before I use naughty words up here. It's like, are you kidding me? But then I also said, oh, just in California. So I used to work in California. (laughs) I can can say that. So we can start selling sunscreen. I love this little cartoon. I got this through Michael Bokage of Astronomy Magazine. And it's the three blind mice, early days. So, um, yeah, Mark Parisi really nailed this one. And I was very pleased to pay his Artist fees to have this particular little cartoon to show everybody, but oh my gosh, they should have used sunlit pan lotion. So a lot of people were out observing. Uh, I ended up, I'm going to St. Joseph, Missouri, gave a talk. By the way, speaking of talks, this has been the most intense period for me of speaking i would ever seen. I was on a plane somewhere from January of last year all the way to August every other week speaking somewhere about the eclipse was that, that sort of interest. It's just really grand to see. And I just hope we as professionals and as amateurs can continue to um, kindle that interest. So for my wife and I, we made this as a family reunion. And it was really terrific to have family and lots of friends and amateurs. We joined a, a crowd of 25,000 25, at the um, St. Joseph Airport to see the eclipse. It was cloudy up to 30 seconds before totality. Ooh, wow. it, a hole broke, second contact, and the rest of totality we were able to see. I was thinking, because I have I hate to say it, has been very lucky I've seen 19 out of 19 total solar eclipses. A lot of people said, we're going to fall Reynolds because he has this great luck. I thought, man, they're going to, he's going to be like Frankenstein. They're going to be running me out of town with pitchforks and Torches. This is not scientific. And I'm gonna say something that all the professionals are gonna cringe. This is beautiful. This is just a simply lovely photo. They decided to mock this up in advance, where the photographer and his crew went out to State Park, lined everything up several days in advance, and then at just the right moment, that diamond ring with the observer up there on the cliff took the picture. It's just it's a it's a lovely photo. It's not scientifically relevant, but you know what? That speaks to the heart and soul of people. And that's part of it. i got to remember, as a scientist, I'll get in and start you know, babbling on to my college students about whatever I'm, you know, I'm talking about, and I get these glazed looks. And i got to sometimes remember, i just got to you know, bring that beauty of the universe back into them. All right, so some of the science. I'm going to run through this very quickly. My interest is looking at, um, quite frankly, uh, the corona and coronal development. The um, how the corona changed because this is the first time we've had a long path of data collected and significant and good quality we're able to go back. It's going to take us some time to to go through all this. So a variety of photos that um, we've been receiving um, to take a look at. Um, Some of you know Shadia and she was the chair of our um, um, American Astronomical Society Eclipse Working Group. We're very interested in studying the corona and coronal effects so nonetheless we've been collecting data from amateurs and professionals and a lot of what i'm showing here is amateur data that's pretty good that's just typical of you know to be able to go in and study um prominence prominent shapes and how prominences change over a period of time this is a great opportunity to be able to do that and one that we have not really had up to this point. So was it the great American eclipse? Absolutely. And it's gonna take us some time, you know, next several years we of papers and, and talks coming out of uh, what we were able to glean from this. For example, how does the corona change shape over that period of time, these filaments and streamers, what, what happens to them over time? Uh, It's just interesting to to note and work with that sort of thing, which we have had an unprecedented opportunity to do. Uh, It's been nicknamed the mustache eclipse because if you look at the shape of these filaments, streamers from the outer corona, you can see it kind of has a mustache shape. Interestingly, a number of solar astronomers um, Tried to predict in advance what the corona would look like. And so that was part of our challenge as as astronomers. You know, we have a great future in front of us. This is a young man that I've been working with in, in, in Jacksonville. And this 16 years old, just graduated from high school. And this is his attempt to photograph the eclipse. Ain't bad. So anyway, it's just... He's going to be an astrophysicist, by the way. You thought you should should know that. Just terrific. So the ALPO is collecting um, data. We have a, a, an opportunity for people to upload their photographs. And um, one of pr- probably a couple of different articles. I'll be preparing for the journal, a, prim- a preliminary one. And then a more once we have more data under control and know a little bit more about it, uh, I guess I work for the wrong boss. I work for... A... Whoops, hold on. This is back up here. Back, back. Come on, back up. Back, back, back. <coughs> wonder why my... I... The Gulf Stream's not appearing. NASA's taken away. Anyway, this was supposed to be a beautiful picture of a Gulf Stream that NASA had to fly along the eclipse path. Anyone get a chance to do that? Okay, I thought so. Anyway... This is also a nice representation. It's great to show students um, or just the general public uh, how the moon's shadow moves along the earth with the eclipse and the earth's rotation. So it's a nice demonstration there. And um, I, I warned you about humor. Um, LAUGHTER Well, at least least I have a nice diamond ring and um, corona and totality. I asked my wife, is that the type of diamond ring you'd like? And I got one of those looks, you know. So anyway, got to have a little bit of fun. So what's up next eclipse-wise? And I'll wrap this up uh, with this. You know, people always do say when they've seen their first eclipse, When's the next one? When's the next eclipse? Well, in about two years, a number of us have already made reservations heading south to um, Chile. We're going to fly into Santiago and drive north. I'm interested in studying the um, shadow of a 12-degree altitude eclipse as the shadow swoops in like an hourglass and swoops back away. So that's the, the next opportunity. And then about... A year later, it's going to look like almost an identical eclipse. There's another South American eclipse goes across Chile and Argentina. And, um, I don't know why am I, there it is. So here's here's um, a comparison between those two eclipses. There are different seros cycles. And so again, it gives us an opportunity to, to do some studies. December 4th, um, 2021 is one of those grazing eclipses where the eclipse shadow just just nicks the... See, I, I keep, my, keep my alarm going here so I don't run over. Um, so anyway, it gives you an idea of that particular eclipse. April 20th, 2022 is a very deep hybrid eclipse. Hybrids refer to eclipses that part of the eclipse path is total, part of it is annular, and so, you know, you can catch either one. And then, what I've already nicknamed the Great American Solar Eclipse 2 occurs April 8th, 2024. It cuts across um, Mexico, Texas, on up through some fairly large cities, by the way. We're talking about like Dallas, Cleveland, um, Indianapolis. Carbondale, Illinois gets its second total solar eclipse. Um, where's the best place to observe it? Is. I often say where it's clear. But if you want the longest duration of best clear sky opportunities, looks like South Texas, if you can see over the wall. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was really bad, but... You'll get an eclipse by the wall. How's that? All right. So um, one of the beauties of doing eclipse astronomy is that it is just a great opportunity to um, see one of nature's most spectacular um, events. You know, we often think we know everything we know about the universe, and suddenly these other little things pop up. And I've often been asked to describe totality. Totality. And so this was written in 1896, that an instantaneous darkness leapt upon the world, an earthly night enveloped all, with an indescribable outflashing at the same instant the corona burst forth in mysterious radiance. But dimly seen through thin cloud, it was nevertheless beautiful beyond description, a celestial flame from some unimaginable heaven. Simultaneously, the whole northwestern sky nearly to the zenith, was flooded with lurid and startling brilliant orange, across which drifted clouds slightly darker, like flecks of liquid flame or huge ejecta from some vast volcanic Hades. The west and southwest gleamed in shining lemon yellow. Least like a sunset, it was too somber and terrible. The pale, broken circle of coronal light still glowed on with thrilling peacefulness, while nature held her breath for another stage in its majestic spectacle. By far the best verbal description I've ever read, written by Mabel Loomis Todd of A Total Solar Eclipse. I'll close with saying um, one of our Alpo publications, we do a number of of monographs. This is available out on the Alpo Alpo table. Um, Ken took um, some of the articles that were written about the eclipse and put them together as one little monogram. So please feel free to pick up a copy. And um, as I always like to say in closing, talking about eclipses, clear skies in the shadow. Thank you very much.
0: Well, I hope you all enjoyed that presentation by Mike at the Graham Conference this past uh, October. Uh, We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. You can also listen on SoundCloud. The link is in the show notes. This podcast is supported by only you, our listeners, through a service called Patreon. Uh, if you like the podcast and you want it to continue, please consider donating to it. Uh, you can give this as little as $1 a month. For $5 a month, you receive early access to the podcast before it gets released to the public. For $10 a month, you receive the Observer's uh, Novice Handbook, the, the official handbook of the ALPO training program, And if you feel so generous by giving $35 a month, you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank uh, someone who's given very generously to the Observer's Notebook over the past few months, Steve Sidentop. Thank you very much, Steve. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net, or on Twitter, at ObserversNBPod. If you're interested in joining the ALPO, membership begins at only $14 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. For the ALPO site, you just search for ALPO Astronomy. And uh, the, this podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is you have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.